Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Diavolt Lowe. Diavolt is a counselling psychologist based in Cape Town, South Africa, and currently works as a remote therapist at ORI, a private eating disorder clinic in London. Diavolt has extensive experience with adolescents and adults in inpatient and private settings and has observed the unique mental health challenges that often go unnoticed in boys and men, which can make it difficult for them to embrace therapeutic environments. Diavolt joins us today to discuss eating disorders in boys and men for our Eating Disorder Awareness Week special and to shine a light on how we can support more boys and men get to the support that they need. Hello Diavolt! Hannah, so it's such a privilege to meet you all the way from um, from Cape Town, South Africa. I know, it's amazing. I was listening to a podcast um, earlier. Uh, it was the Diary of the CEO and Richard Hammond was like freaking out yes. about the fact that you can do things all over the world and like meet people. And this is it. Like, it's, it's amazing, amazing that, uh-huh. that we can have this conversation from all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. And South Africa is too hours ahead is it yes you're right so um i mean we are doing this now i think it's six o'clock your time but it's eight o'clock my time in the evening yes amazing amazing well hopefully you won't get too tired um i'm already feeling Mm -hmm. snooze from a day of work so (laughs) (laughs) we'll try and keep it exciting um but yeah thank you so much for joining me um i think this it always feels special when we do an Eating Disorder Awareness Week um, podcast because, you know, it's always a issue or concept that maybe hasn't been explored as much as it should have been or spoken about as much. So mm. I'm really glad that we're able to have this space to talk about it and, and to have you with me. Um, so I wondered maybe if we could start with thinking about some of the stereotypes around eating disorders and in boys and men. And this is such a Mm. broad question. Um, But what do you think are some of the stereotypes um, that exist for eating disorders in boys and men? Yeah, that's such a good question because, you know, I think there's so many myths and stereotypes in eating disorders in general. Hey, So Mm. if we now think about men specifically, I think the main one it still is that A lot of people think that eating disorders, it's a female illness. It's still a female illness only. Mm. And that men don't have eating disorders. They they can't have eating disorders. Um, And, you know, I think it's a complex issue. I don't know where that necessarily comes from, but uh, and we'll definitely unpack this today. Um, but I also think there's a stigma that, that men and boys don't care about their appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not really connected to their feelings at all. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I've heard before, and there's some research also that suggests that, that there's also a stigma that, that men who have eating disorders, um, that then means that they are also homosexual, for example. So mm-hmm. it said something about their sexuality, I think. That might be a component. And then we'll talk about this today, but eating disorders definitely look differently sometimes in men. It can, you know. Um, And as we know with eating disorders in general, we often focus on anorexia nervosa still. (laughs) While there's so many, there's such a broad spectrum of of eating disorders, even in each type of eating disorder. And men does not necessarily always fit that clinical picture of, well, at least maybe sometimes anorexia. So, I mean, these are just some of the stereotypes that I think we need to to talk about and um, and continue educating about. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think I think you're so right. Um, the I agree um, in terms of kind of you know what comes to my mind first when I think about the stigmas and that is that eating disorders are a female I think even a young female 
um, and mm. a, a white female issue um, because I think people but even if we just think about anorexia that's not true but I think like you say people do just turn to anorexia and I have a distinct memory of um, I had my uncle round and we were chatting about me doing this podcast and I said that I'd had this guy on that had an eating disorder um, and had binge eating disorder and he was like a like man dead. had an eating disorder yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and then like the concept on added on top of that of, like what on earth is binge eating disorder um yeah. but I think within that as well you're so right in tying in the sexuality component component in that um you know if you are a man with an eating disorder oh well you, well, you must be gay because you know you you can only be gay I'm sorry you can only have an eating disorder and be a man if you care about your appearance um yeah. and you know that's quite like a feminine trait I guess that people um expect and actually you know there is no sort of sexuality gender race whatever it is it's age it's nothing that kind of determines what an eating disorder is but it's interesting what you said about like you don't like we're not sure why that where that comes from and my only thought is sort of is it that women in the past maybe like you said men stereotypically don't talk about their feelings so women maybe have spoken about it more and then it's got kind of more support I don't know do you have any more thoughts about why that is yeah um I mean I do think there are differences for example when it comes to personality from a psychological point of view you know when it comes to mm. to genders um we, we know from a a uh, neurobiological point of view also that females tend to be a bit more connected to their feelings being a bit you know a bit more aware of um social judgment for example and i think culturally um the woman's body um plays a different role for her in her life than i think while for a man once again, hey, we are generalizing so much here, but traditionally it was more about status and power and mm. achievements. Well, for a woman, uh, unfortunately, you know, we, we're looking at these labels of, you know, appearance, being being beautiful. And so I think it, it, it all plays a role. Um, and then, of course, maybe also toxic, masculinity that we can we can also unpack a bit later but um i think all of that makes maybe it more prevalent in females well we know that from the research hey we know that yes females um are more likely to develop an eating disorder that that we know um but i think we should not be all or nothing about it and that's what often happens here that we then say um and therefore men don't have eating disorders at all <laughs> that mm. that's not the case um and we must also remember when we look when we look at these these prevalences that's only who we see seeking help it's only who we see in treatment um and i think there we've got a lot to say about men in general mm. yeah and i was literally just going to say you know, obviously the research and the prevalence rates suggest that eating disorders are more common in women. But, you know, can we actually say with 100% certainty that they do? Because are men coming forward for support and for treatment? You know, do the signs and the symptoms look the same as they do in women? So are we beating it? Are we able to recognise them? Um, and I think, you know, treatment facilities and, and things like that are geared more towards women. Absolutely. It, it was um, somebody uh, told me the other day that with um, autism diagnosis, one of the questions that they will ask is, does your child um, move a car back and forth on the floor, like roll the car back and forth? And automatically, you know, cars, If again, if we're generalising, tend to be more of like a toy that a little boy would play with mm -hmm, exactly. um, and so naturally the parents are like oh no my child doesn't do that but if you said does your child continuously brush a doll's hair 
it might be that you might recognize that more so it does make me uh, in in girls sorry because they would have always said mm, that good point more common in boys so it does make me think you know is it that we're kind of not asking the right questions um and i guess on that point do you do you have any thoughts about kind of the signs and symptoms of eating disorders in men do you think they are the same or do you think they're different in in boys and men um there's definitely some differences so so um if we think about eating disorders in women usually thin is better um with men that's not necessarily always the case um it can be but but we definitely see with men there might be more desire to be muscular um but still lose fat that's it's usually that combination um even in in my um my my male clients who's got anorexia nervosa even they often don't necessarily fear gaining weight um but there's the desire to be more muscular um but then still being overly restrictive and that's why we they often you know land up getting the diagnosis of anorexia nervosa or or being underweight um we also see with men that they tend to struggle even more with exercise than than women um a lot of men might be athletes and they might actually start uh, restricting or eating clean or they might start because they want to actually improve their athletic performance and that then you know gets out of control and and develops into an eating disorder and then men with eating disorders are, are two times more likely to have substance use disorder in comparison with uh with females I mean, in general, men tend to have a higher prevalence when it comes to substance use, and especially alcohol. But we uh, we see that combination that even increases that even more. And then we've got some unique features that that's unique to to males. Like um, often we see low testosterone, um, erectile dysfunction, low sex drive. Um, men seems to be less concerned about the the weight number um and often more this is maybe the the conversation about muscle dysmorphia but but more concerned about you know physical appearance um being bigger being more muscular if i think about bulimia nervosa um men tend to to compensate by exercising instead in the majority um generally um more exercise less uh, purging vomiting um lax diffuse that we see often more more in females um and then i think from my experience also a lot of men have difficulty to define a large amounts of food and and that feeling of loss of control because i i think it's often seen as as for example bulking um so they don't necessarily experience that loss of control that I often hear from my from my female clients so those are some some of the differences i, I also noticed that men does not recognize eating disorder symptoms and they're quite unaware of the eating disorder even developing while a lot of my female clients um know what's going on and and they become more secretive about that trying to hide that while for men it's 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 generally it starts out just a coping mechanism as a solution i think that's really interesting i think um i want to go back to the muscle dysmorphia thing uh, in terms of like the things kind of like going unnoticed maybe things like bulking and stuff and this might be not a popular opinion but it's just something that's been like niggling at me um yeah is i know that 
the research is um there's a lot of research recently coming out about muscle dysmorphia in men and all of that and i think there's been quite a big focus for eating sort of awareness week you know talking about gym culture and things like that my only concern is that it's it's that generalization again and that kind of brushstroke of you know oh men tend to be more concerned about you know muscularity and being toned and um you know having a low body fat and and you know if the research points that way cool but i just think whilst we have this opportunity to talk more about eating disorders in mm. men, would it not be a great opportunity to really shout about the fact that any eating disorder can and and it's a really difficult thing to tread and i've spoken to my friend george about this so many times because he is doing his phd on muscle dysmorphia and masculinity so he's like yeah we've got to talk about it more which i completely agree with but i think my concern with talking about we definitely need to talk about muscle dysmorphia don't get me wrong um but you know men can still have anorexia binge eating disorder bulimia and i just fear that as a society we're going to now get to a point where women because of diet culture have a drive for thinness so they have anorexia and then men want to get lean and muscular so they have muscle dysmorphia um do you think i'm being dramatic or is it that no. you know, men yeah no i think you you are you are spot on um i think muscle dysmorphia draws attention because it's you know it's it, um it's quite unique to men i think well unique in the sense that we we the, the prevalence is higher uh we we don't see a lot of um those intentions in female eating disorders but you are 100% correct by saying it's not the only eating disorder that a man can suffer from um and and let's also remind ourselves that it's not even a formal psychiatric diagnosis muscle dysmorphia it's not in the dsm it's um you can't claim from the insurance you know under that code <laughs> it's it's not a formal psychiatric diagnosis it's it's like um orthorexia does it I come under body can... dysmorphia sorry does it come under body dysmorphic disorder well body dysmorphic disorder that's that's a, a recognized psychiatric disorder but mm -hmm. not uh, muscle dysmorphia okay. yeah sorry that i i hope i didn't um, say the wrong thing but but that's what i mean yeah so body dysmorphia absolutely but i want to actually just talk about the word dysmorphia because there's a lot of misconception about that word how i've got so many clients coming to me saying that they've got body dysmorphia and what they mean by that is that they don't like their body. And that's not what it means. There's a big difference between body dysmorphia and body dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. True body dysmorphia means that you've got a distorted um, perception of your body. You don't see your body accurately. And you, and, and, and you often have actually poor insight about what's going on. So according to you, there's really something wrong with often a a part of your body, maybe a nose, or you, you get really obsessed with that. It can it can be weight, can be generalized um, dysmorphia also, um, but but it's really distorted. Um, it's not the same as often the body dissatisfaction that we see in an eating disorder, where there's a real hate often towards the body um and because often those clients not in all cases might see their body quite accurately but they still don't like what they see and with muscle dysmorphia we've got the same problem muscle dysmorphia means that the the man wants to be more muscular than he is because he thinks he's not muscular enough well often he is actually already quite muscular. So once again, very important to distinguish between the difference between body dissatisfaction and dysmorphia. Yeah. I think that's a really important point to make actually. And I think you're so right in that 
Um, I think sometimes the lines get blurred when people are dissatisfied, like you say, with their body, as opposed to actually having um, a distortion about it. Um, and then I guess just kind of going back to muscle dysmorphia, because I think it is definitely really important to talk about it. For me, one of the reasons I think that maybe eating disorders in men and maybe muscle dysmorphia isn't picked up as much is the normalization of it. In a sense, you know, mm. similarly to diet culture and the normalization of weight loss um, and all those messages, I think the messaging around muscularity is very similar in that, you know, no days off, rest is for the week and things like that. And I actually used to power lift. Um, which meant I was in the gym a lot and kind of there was a lot of that gym culture and bulking and cutting were not seen as an issue like if you were you know bulking and eating really excessive amounts of calories that was just totally normal because you were just trying to get muscular but if you were cutting equally that was totally fine because you were just trying to get lean and I think that is such a an unsafe environment because those kind of processes can be so dangerous um, but it's so normalised. And I think also things like steroid use um, and excessive exercise, it's so easy to think that they're normal things to do. And it's OK to want to change your body in quite extreme ways, purely because when you go into the gym, everybody else is doing it. So, you know, what's the bother for me to do it? Yeah, absolutely. And. It reminds me of a lot of the general themes we see in eating disorders in general, and that is that the, the obsession, the, the amount of time it starts to take up, um, and, and also just the underlying intention, you know, the fact that I need to change my body to be okay with myself. I think for me, that's also the, the problem here. Um, and w once again, we're not saying just like with, with females, we're not saying you can't be an athlete um, or you can't um, enjoy exercise or you can't even do some of those things sometimes excessively, um, like it's required often in professional, um, for professional athletes or, or some careers. This is a psychiatric illness. This is something it takes over your life. It impairs functioning. Um, you start to give up relationships because you need to be in the gym. You start to hate yourself and experience significant feelings of maybe guilt or shame if you um, weren't able to, let's say, compensate or, or exercise today. So uh, I can't diagnose today by, you know, just talking about this. It's a, it's a severe illness that needs to be diagnosed by by a thorough assessment by a professional. I think it's really interesting because if I think about, you know, my gym, I feel there are a lot of people that wouldn't want to miss an exercise session and would prioritise going to the gym over socialising and have very strict diet regimes. Um, and like, you know, their physique is sort of the core of their personality. And I think mm. I always used to ask the question of like, where do you draw the line and stuff? But I guess I still am asking that question because is it that those people probably have an eating disorder as well? Or do you think there's a, a line of like, you know, how much it impacts your life personally? You know, if you're happy with that structure and how you live your life, then it's okay. But if mm. you're not, maybe it's a disorder. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a complex answer properly. Um, I think my question always for clients would be, even if, they, if they're really into this and they really enjoy it and they really love it, and usually people will say they, they also love exercising, you know, so it's usually something they really enjoy. My question would be, do you also have other coping mechanisms or is this the only thing? And if I take it away from you, let's say, we go on holiday and you need to take a break from exercise, would you be able to cope? If you've got no other way to manage emotions, because that, that's eventually what an eating disorder becomes. Say, we use our eating disorder to manage our emotions, whatever those emotions might be. 
if you've got no other way to do that, for me, that would be problematic. And I think at the moment, unfortunately, there are, if we look at gyms here in South Africa too, in Cape Town, there's a lot of people, I can't say they've got eating disorders necessarily, but definitely a lot of people with quite unhealthy relationships with um, themselves, their bodies, and exercise. How would you say that we kind of support people in feeling like they can talk about this sort of thing? Because I think often, and maybe this is, you know, you mentioned earlier about sort of the aspect of toxic masculinity, and maybe this is where we can tie this in. But I think often what I've observed in my male friends is that they don't want to appear like they have an issue because almost having an issue such as an eating disorder appears weak and they want to be sort of like the Mm. strong one and I think when you tie that into the gym culture you, you know you want to be the big guy and the tough one and stuff like that so when it's so normalized as well I think it then makes it even more difficult for people to say actually I have an issue with this when they can see their friend next to them appears to be totally fine with kind of living the same sort of life as them yeah it reminds me of what we always say in treatment that you know it's it's not just about the food it's about the feelings and and I would say if you want to if you are concerned about someone for example um be honest with them but don't start necessarily by talking about the exercise and the food and the weight just ask, just be a friend and ask, how are you doing? Like, how are you doing? And, and, and build a relationship and, and listen. Because I do believe that if the space feels safe, they, they will allow the support. And I think there's not a lot we can do if we don't have that relationship with people, you know. Um, I think that's the, that's the best place to start. If I think about toxic, masculinity also does it play a role men do men want to feel dominant and you know independent might be um i think that might be one of the reasons why a lot of men delay seeking treatment um don't want to be dependent on a professional or want to really believe or portray that they can can help themselves um Maybe they want to appear strong and, you know, not weak. But I'm not sure, you know, the last couple of years, as you know, we've made, we've made some progress with, with gender inequality, for example. And the lines between masculine and feminine roles and those ideals are actually, those lines are less defined. It's a bit more blurred. There's an overlap, you know, or at least more than in the past. I don't know, is is that why, and we haven't spoken about this, but we're actually seeing an increase in um, eating disorders under men also. And is that that maybe why we're seeing that? Uh, We don't have clarity about that yet. And and, and maybe the the other question would be, what does it mean for men when when their role changes? You know, when... um, I think we're all we're all rooting for that. We're all rooting for for you know uh, being equal. But how does it impact men internationally? Do they do they fe- do they sense a, a loss of control? Um, can that drive the eating disorder behavior? Do they want to now maybe do they have the desire to be physically superior? Um, I don't know. It's I would be surprised if it's almost that simplistic as that. In my experience, every time when I had a a male in front of me or a boy, I even have a a boy of ten years old at the moment in my in my private practice, and he struggles with some problems with with food and relationship with his body. Every time when I sit with a man, they're not really talking about those themes. What they talk about is the trauma they went through in the past or this young boy is being bullied, you know, and called names for 
or being, you know, you know, fat or whatever they call him. So it often goes back to that. And I think when, when we think about that, for me, that's very similar to when I deal with female clients. It's ultimately about how are you doing? What's going on in your life? And what do you need then this eating disorder for? Um, I, I, I can't, or maybe I don't want to, but I, even, even with my female clients, I don't think it's that simple as I just want to look good. It's about appearance. I want to look, um, you know, tough and, and strong. Um, for me, there must be something deeper. I couldn't agree more. I think, I think, like you said, it's it's probably not a simplistic answer because I don't think any eating disorder is a simplistic answer. Um, yes. And I think the the stereotype or the stigma of eating disorders are purely, you know, so that people can control the way that they look and the way that they appear to people. That may be an aspect of it, but then I mm. think you can often go even further than that in like, I want to change the way that I look because people will respect me more and I have no self-worth or you know I, I will have more friends because I currently feel really lonely and stuff so I think it's never ultimately just as simple as saying you know I, I just I just want to you know muscle dysmorphia let's say I just want to get more muscular like why do you want to get more muscular what yeah. will that provide for you and you know how will that build up yourself and I think that's like a really important thing to discuss about the fact that you know eating disorders ultimately aren't really about the food um the food is obviously an element but it's almost in a couple of podcasts ago we were talking about how the eating disorder comes at a time when somebody is quite vulnerable and at the time it's a protective factor it's there to look after you because you know it, it it does just kind of maybe maybe numb the pain take things away gives a distraction all of that sort of thing um but I don't and and maybe for some people it does start out as okay you know I want to lose a bit of weight so I'm going to and then you fall into the trap of eating disorder but I think that's kind of that's not the general theme it's more that there's something somebody feels is missing and they try and fill that with an eating disorder and that's I would say generalized to to males to females to whatever eating disorder that somebody's struggling with yes yeah definitely it's, it's almost like the outcome um the food and the weight and the behaviors are the way we try exactly like you said it's the it's it's what we use to make ourselves feel better in the moment and it often works you know mm-hmm. over the short term it it makes us feel better but it doesn't live well and an eating disorder becomes a problem when it doesn't live well anymore and we're starting things start to fall apart and um and we need to get to the to the root of things you know it makes me think um the last six months i was shooting a a tv show here in south africa where we really help people with eating disorders um you know changing their lifestyle and and helping them and supporting them And, and i was the psychologist on the show and oh i was just reminded again after talking to six of the people on on the show, just the amount of pain and trauma and heartache they've been through. And I I was expecting that maybe, but I was just, it was, I was almost taken aback by how each one's story was driving that eating disorder. It was just fueling it. And, and they had to go there. They had to, you know, I always say you you can't go around feelings. You need to go through feelings. They had to go through the feelings. They had to really just feel it and be it. And it was tough. And we, I I cried with them. You know, um, but it was so important. It it is so important for the for the healing process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think often part of that is also you have to go through it to be able to trust that you can go through it. I think a lot of the time people think, oh, I can't possibly, you know, live this life without my eating disorder. You know, maybe I'm not strong enough and I'm not brave enough or whatever. But you have to kind of go through it to realise I can do this on my own. Um, And you never are actually on your own because you've got, you know, loved ones around you or clinicians and things like that. 
Um, but I think, yeah, I think it is really important to highlight that aspect of, you know, it's often come from a place of being vulnerable and, and the eating disorder is kind of a perfect storm for that. Um, Just with with men in general, I don't think us men like to be vulnerable. I don't think it comes mm. natural for us, you know. Um, not only do I think we necessarily want to be portrayed as strong, I just think it's never been modelled to us, you know. What mm. does a vulnerable man looks like? Uh, it's a, I remember when I studied psychology um, years ago, we were probably 60 females in the class um, or let's say 16 total and maybe I think we were three, four men in the psychology class um, and it's happening all over the world when, when we look at psychology and it's the field of being vulnerable, it's a field of you know delving deep and looking at your feelings so I don't think we've had good role models you know um, a lot of a lot of fathers, a lot of men in the family, unfortunately, sometimes um, not non-intentionally, um, still act out what they've seen in the past. Mm. And it's maybe a generational consequence that we are still sitting with. And we are, we are making some progress, but we still have a way to go. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think... Um... That, and I mean, this is not my belief. I'm, I work in the psychology field myself, but I think there's a general stigma that psychology is the soft science, and it's mm. you know, the the uh, the science that we look at emotions and things like that, and that is the more feminine science. And then when you think about things like maths or physics or engineering, things like that, they're the sort of you know hard sciences that they're the more male dominated areas um and I just only have to think about my course when I was at, at university and I think similarly I mean actually I think there was about 120 students in total and I think there was three males um which yeah. is crazy um but also when I I because I studied biomed at undergrad as well and that was also seen you know biology psychology that sort of you know, and it was the same um but I do think we're making a shift and I think like you said it's definitely a generational thing I think sort of my sort of generation our sort of generation are moving towards that like you said the blurred lines between gender roles um and things like that yeah. but even still my dad is a very you know appearance wise he's a very masculine man uh, my mum always says that he's a man's man and we have a saying in my mm. house like oh if dad can't fix it no one can um yeah. and I think in my life I've seen my dad cry once so for me fortunately I have a lot of male friends that have really given me like an open eye of the diversity of characteristics in men and I'm really appreciative of that but growing up you know it was dad will fix everything uh, and dad's hard like dad dad doesn't have many emotions whereas you know mum is the one that I go to when I need emotional support um so I think you know if if I felt that as a female almost as a spectator of you know the um the male population I can't imagine what it's like and then also as a man you know if you're if that's what your dad is like you then that's like you say that's your role model so you're like okay I can't be emotional I've got to be the one that you know gets stuff done and and you know my wife or partner whatever they will be the one that's allowed to be emotional and have those sorts of yes lives. yeah and, and exactly like you said I need to be a man's man I mean even if we think about mm. that that saying hey and and we say that people say that um growing up hearing your mom say that about your dad we as a boy you might assume that's who you need to be and and it means certain things you know so and um, one of the things I think men find very helpful uh, when they go, when when they seek treatment and they go through treatment is the fact that we can talk about all the different ways that we can express our masculinity. Um, I, I remember I, I did a group actually, therapeutic group in, in an inpatient clinic once just talking about how we all have masculine and feminine traits. 
we all we all and it's so helpful when you can be in touch with with both sides and we don't want to demonize or hero the one side and demonize the other side so idealize so I, I, a lot of men find it helpful when they realize no you know i don't have to put that pressure on myself to be something from a marvel super, superhero movie i can that's only one one version of a man but i can also be that version and that version and that version and it's it's freeing for them yeah. and i love that and that's something that i'm coming to um discuss a lot in my therapy personally recently is that you can be made up of so many different parts and we are made of so many different yeah. parts so yeah you can be the you know physically strong man and, and you can do stuff like that but you can also be vulnerable and, and you can have other people protect you and look after you but then you can also be creative and intelligent and so many other aspects to you just not just sort of like you know the, the strength or the weakness it's it's very like you said earlier it's very all or nothing which I think is mm. a very eating disorder way of thinking Definitely. anyway um yeah so yeah. I guess you mentioned it slightly there uh, in terms of the group that you led, but also in terms of treatment, how do you think that we can adjust treatment? So one, it's more accessible um, for boys and men, but then also, I guess, a bit more useful because I don't know how much use it is currently because it's quite feminine focused. You're right. We're not doing very well when it comes to, to treating men with eating disorders. Um, there are some places they can go, but it's really in the minority. I think the first thing we need to do is continue having these conversations. We need to we need to just raise awareness because men are often uninformed. You know, if you talk to to, to a male with an eating disorder, they feel so isolated and alone, and they often ask themselves, "What's wrong with me?" Because they've usually never met any other male in their life with an eating disorder. Mm. It's it's not in their frame of reference. So they feel very um maybe ignorant about it, but also just unsupported. And then we need to look at early prevention, you know. Um we know that men specifically go into treatment at a much later stage of their illness which is a pity, you know, we want to treat them as soon as possible. We want to treat all eating disorders as soon as possible because then we know um, it's easier to help people. Um, so so we need to, I think clinicians also are quite bad at screening and, and diagnosing eating disorders um, in men. It's often overlooked, you know, when you think about a male, you you look for depression, you look for ADHD, you look for um, alcohol use, you you don't think about eating disorders. And I think that must change. That's very important. And then, like you said, um, some treatment centers don't even take men. So that's problematic. Um, I remember, um, and I know about a lot of inpatient treatment centers. If you've got a treatment center full of females, uh, it's it's often quite difficult to bring in one male into that center. And it's also not really helpful for him because he feels quite isolated and who who can he relate to? So um, they often then just say, sorry, we it's a female center only. And we know from the research that men are more open in men-only groups. So we need to create spaces where at least it's not female-centric um it reminds me of the the old diagnostic criteria before 2013 where one of the criteria was actually um that you did not have your period for a certain amount of time so it was purely based on female symptoms so we need to make language more gender neutral um and ironically which i think is the good news we know that men actually, if they do receive treatment, have a higher success rate 
than, than females. And I thought about this, you know, I thought, why would that be the case? And the research suggests that maybe, you know, predominantly males often can be quite goal-orientated, self-directed, and I think they, they come into treatment also with that mentality, uh, want to check the boxes, which can sometimes not be a good thing. But we see that treatment helps, you know, for, for both men and females. So, so it's vital. There's a lot we still need to do. Um, but I think having these conversations is a good start. Yeah. I think it's very interesting what you said about um, the amenorrhea and losing your period, because that just shows, you know, that's 10 years ago, but that just shows that's only just become a realisation that, um, you know, that men can get uh, anorexia too. And I suppose without generalising, because obviously not everybody with an eating disorder loses their period, but is there anything for men that are certain signs or symptoms that people can look out for if they are concerned about an eating disorder? Um, I mean, the main, the main thing that comes up for me would be not unique to men, but could be isolation. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's definitely something. Um, I think for the for the for the men themselves um i've got a lot of men in therapy who's extremely alone and this is something that i think as a culture we don't talk about a lot um mm -hmm. men experience a lot of isolation and feelings of being alone and and it's it's not something they feel they can express also um and then what I often see, not in my first session with men, but after maybe session five or six, that they will start talking about the sexual dysfunction, um, mm. erectile dysfunction. And we know that dysregulated eating can definitely influence um, testosterone levels. So those are symptoms that's quite unique to men. Um, I think a lot of the other symptoms we get in men's mental health in general. We know that men sometimes tend to be maybe more um, irritable, aggressive. Um, when they start to struggle, they like to, or they tend to act out in in that way. Um, but no, the best way is to have open conversations because just like with females, eating disorders can be hidden so well. It can be something that can continue for years and most people who engage in those behaviors for a long time know also how to protect themselves, I guess, you know, because the eating disorder becomes like your superpower. It's the one thing you use to cope and to make you feel better. Um, and that's the same, I think, for, for men. So we need that solid relationship with people and that open communication. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you're so right in that eating disorders do thrive in isolation. Um, and I really like that you said that rather than, um, you know, maybe something physical, because I think all eating disorders do thrive in isolation and sort yeah. of, you know, like you said, people keeping those behaviours maybe to themselves. And I guess in men, you know, like if it is less recognised because we don't talk about it as much, it, it can go unnoticed so much more easily. Um, and just be completely normalized so I think that's really important but also you know just discussing that aspect of sexual dysfunction and things like that and I think a lower sex drive they're just really good things to be aware of in that if that is happening you know it, it probably is a sign that something's wrong and it like you said it might not be an eating disorder it may be something else uh, another yeah. mental health condition but it's it's good for people to be aware that, that that can be linked, I guess. I think a large thing that um, the healthcare system can also continue working on, and we're getting there, but we're not there yet. We know that men actually score low on eating disorder screening tools, questionnaires, mm -hmm. um, even when they have uh, an eating disorder. And it's it's for the same reason that then we said earlier that the, the the question is the screening tools are often more geared toward female symptoms. So it will ask questions like, do you fear, um, you know, gaining weight? 
when was the last time you had your period? So men will score no on a lot of those questions and then they are missed. So there's a lot of work for us to do. Um, but I think... I think um, I think there are some new screening tools. Um, somebody, uh, Dr. Charlotte Ord has written a, a blog through Eating Disorder Awareness Week for us and there are some new screening tools for eating disorders yeah. in men. New ones. I think it's going to take yeah, a couple which, of years to be. So just to finish us off, um, I just wanted to ask what you guys at Ori are doing for Ethan Soldier Awareness Week. I've seen the hashtag Remember Your Bros, and I just wanted to ask you guys what that was all about. Yeah, we've got, we're actually busy with an eating disorder awareness week, and we've got this abbreviation, Bros, and it, um, it obviously uh, has all the letters B R O S, and the B stands for banter mindfully. So be mindful of your use of language around obviously appearance and 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 weight and the way we talk about other people and ourselves often in front of, of others. The R stands for recognize responsibility. So notice your role and the opportunity for for early intervention, even if you're not a professional, you know, just to be that person that can have that relationship with someone, be the ear that, that they can listen to and and maybe make a recommendation and be that support for them. And then the O is to observe behaviors. So pay, pay close attention to radical changes of behavior. Don't dismiss or, or minimize, but really pay attention. Support and signpost. So take action and with, with kindness. I think that's always the RE way to do it with kindness. And, um, and the signpost is to refer to external, external support if, if you feel really needed, if you are concerned. Amazing. I think it's such a good acronym um, and I think it's such a good way to round off the podcast because it's it's literally like, what's your top tips for supporting um, <laughs> somebody with an eating disorder? So, yeah, I think that's brilliant. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and to speak to you um, and to have a really interesting conversation about eating disorders in boys and men. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Hannah, it was amazing. And, and if people want to uh, maybe have a look at Ari's website, it's, it's Ari, O-R-R-I hyphen UK dot com. We're also on Instagram, Ari underscore UK. So um, there's a bit more about events and, and workshops and everything we're doing for Eating Disorder Awareness Week and also anything going forward. So please have a look. And yeah, it was lovely to meet you. Hopefully we can do this again. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and I'll put links to all the different events that Ori are doing um, in the show notes. So, yeah, I will let you go and have your evening. Now it's quite late, um, and yeah, just really appreciative of you of you coming on. It's been great to meet you. Thank you. Until next time. Bye bye. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.